This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, our faith, businesses, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and to leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is the incredible Sandra Bird. She is the author of more than 50 books, which just blows my mind. And her work has received many awards, nominations, accolades, reviews and publishers weekly, best book selections, so many things. She is an experienced devotionalist. Her previous devotionals for women, including The One Year Home and Garden Devotions, and her newest book is called Dwell, 90 Days at Home with God. Home, it's this place we long to return at the end of a day or a season away. The place where we honestly share ourselves with those who know and love us best. We attach the word home to many emotionally resonant phrases like our childhood home or our grandma's house or mom's house or our dream home or forever home. Home might be where you live right now or where you grew up or the place where you find your beloveds. But no matter where the Lord plants us in the world, he wants us to settle in and make a home. And Sandra has created this devotional to draw inspiration from window views and cozy armchairs to spend time with God. This new devotional is incredible. It's powerful. It is deep and fortified with relevant scripture. And it also is just that book that you need on your coffee table, on your nightstand to pull out and to just have a few minutes with God in your home. I'm so excited about this conversation. Sandra is just brilliant and I loved our chat. So you're going to love it too. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Sandra Bird. Everyone, I'm so excited to welcome Sandra Bird to the show. Sandra, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. I Today is one of those days that I'm, well, I'm so excited about this interview and I'm almost like, I wish I did like a video podcast because your stuff, your your writing is beautiful. Like obviously, you know, just as a concept, conceptually, it's beautiful, right. as you know what I'm saying. But um, your new book, Dwell, is just visually stunning. I love it. And um, so today's one of those days where I'm like, man, you know, like how sometimes you're just like, I wish something was like scratch and sniff over the TV or like <laughs> something that was audio you could see. Anyway, that's okay. Um, I'm just so excited for you to be here and uh, for you to share all um, just about your heart and uh, your new dwell devotional. I'm, oh, I'm pumped. So Yay. Sandra, will you give us the Sandra 101? So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Who I am. I am I am a Christian woman. I am a mother. I am a grandmother now. My my first grandchild is the light of my life. I am an author. I've authored mm, over 50, 50 books. I'm a book coach. I've been a an editor and a, a writing coach since my daughter was a tiny little four-week-old baby. So mm. I've been in the trenches for, for a long time and and I'm a foodie. That's this is important Ooh. to know. <laughs> yep, okay. that's you know, I'm a foodie. I love long walks. I live by the water. I walk on the waterfront. I live near Seattle, and so our season of what we call the big dark has come to a conclusion for the year, and now we have sun. And so uh, I'm dark. outside in the sun trying to store up my physical and emotional vitamin D until the yes. next big dark rolls around. So, oh my goodness. Okay. I love it. I always tell my kids, um, I mean, we don't live in the big dark area, but uh-huh. uh, every day I'm always like, it's time for y'all to go get your DDD, your daily <laughs> dose of vitamin D. Okay. Y'all mm-hmm. get outside. Okay. Well, obviously we want to get into your professional career and how you got all, all into that, but, but I, I need to know about this foodiness. Um, so is it like a particular type of 
what's the word? Is it like a, it's not a genre of cuisine, is it? <laughs> you know, it kind of describes the person, you know, like an arty person is somebody who would be, you know, completely into art or a musical person. So foodie, foodie is more than just liking to eat. It's like the creation of it. Can you look at a recipe and see if it's going to work mm-hmm. just by looking at it? Do you feel like I take pictures of my food and that's kind of a foodie thing too there's this guy that's a cashier at my the grocery store where i shop and he's a foodie too so sometimes i'll be coming through his line and he'll be like hey look what i did with the halibut and he'll show me his phone because he took a picture of it because it's so cool yeah and i'm like hey i need to go home and you know style some halibut with some spruce tips or whatever (laughs) he just did so it's just the enjoyment of the of all the senses honestly you smell the food you see the food you taste the food you um you know here it's cooking or people enjoyment it it has texture so it's more than just liking to eat it's it's um you know kind of enjoying the art form of it too okay i love this perspective is okay I have a lot of questions about this, actually, because I think there's yeah. a, there's a deep like theological piece to this that I don't I'm, I don't know that people maybe um, yeah. think of immediately. Um, it's actually it's funny. I listen to um, or I do the Bible recap with Tara Lee Cobble every year. Mm-hmm. And I remember a couple of months ago she was talking about like the kindness of God and the different attributes of God. And one of the things that she said, she was like, he's he's just so nice. Like he's, there's all these things about him. Yes. He's majestic and he's powerful and he's, but he's also really nice. Like he made food taste good and he couldn't, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make food taste good. Um, and I know that, and I I realize that this is even kind of part of your book as well. And so we're kind of jumping ahead, but we're just going to go with it is you talk in the book about how um, taste can bring us closer to Jesus and how, you know, being a foodie can often like really open you up to just the the magic of the creation of God and all these different ingredients and all these different foods and all these different cuisines and cultures and um, so many things. So I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit more about that, about how this is, this goes deeper than just like somebody who really likes food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it dovetails in with us. We, God made us to be sensory beings. We have five senses. He created us that way. And when we navigate the world using our senses, we enjoy it more fully, more holy, uh, you know, holy H and holy WH, you know, as as we do those things. There's a lot to say about that. One of the things going back to my granddaughter, so she's just uh, she's eating solid foods now. She's 19 months old, so she eats regular things. But how she does it is with something's new. She takes her tiny pinky fingertip and she dips it in whatever it is, gets the a molecule on it and tastes it. And then if it's good, she dives in and eats the whole grilled cheese or whatever it is. But theologically, for people who have been burned by the church, for example, or who don't know God or who haven't experienced him, and he says, taste and see that I'm good. It's okay for us to take our tiny pinky fingertip Mm. and trust him with something small, do something as a, you know, float out a test, you know, are you here? And that's what he means, taste and see that he's good. And we do, and then we can dive in just like, you know, she does for grilled cheese or raspberries or whatever it is. So he uses you know, sensory illustrations, you know, in, in the word, because we do, we do navigate our our world in that way. One of the things I do is when I have my quiet time, that's the only time that I have jasmine tea. So mm. it's very fragrant. It's very tasty, but I limit it to that time. That's just God in me. So it's a way for me to bring a sensory experience into our intimate time together. And just if I'm walking somewhere and I smell jasmine tea, it it immediately brings me back to the time that he and I spent together that morning. Yeah, I... I, I know that this is like one of those common human experiences when you bring up and even just the the mental image of things or the, that smell of jasmine tea or I was joking even last week, like my kids and I it was before my daughter's soccer game. We needed to just quickly grab something to eat. She really wanted Subway and we walked into Subway. Anybody that's ever been to Subway, you know, Subway has the Subway smell like there's only one <laughs> smell that I associate with Subway and I could be anywhere and smell the Subway smell. And it's like that it takes you into that moment. But I love this idea and this um, intentionality that you have of having, you know, when you're having your quiet time or your prayer time or your, you know, you know, study time to have that one thing that really does 
you know, so you have that association with it of that, that Jasmine tea with your time with, with the Lord. Um, and so that, like you said, when you're out you, and you smell something, you're like, Oh yeah, exactly. I love that. That's such a creative, uh, but beautiful thing to incorporate. If you look through scripture, even you see there's a lot of times that he, that Jesus or, or God, one of the things in the Old Testament. So we all say grace. We all say thank you. We thank the Lord for our food and we mean it. But we, we had been reading a passage in the Old Testament that talked about when the Lord asked his people to prepare their sacrifices to him and the times and what they were to bring, which is what they, they were eating. And we had like an aha moment that. Okay, so the sacrifices are what they're eating at the times they're eating. He's eating with them. He's sharing the meal with them, you know, and it, it, that was an epiphany for us to say, we need to not just say thank you, but invite him, you know, Lord, join us at this meal. Here's this. We have a special place for you at our table. Be our honored guest. Be a part of our, our conversations. Be a part of our, uh, you know, jokes even, you know, whatever mm-hmm. we happen to be doing, you you are present and a member of our family here. And just reorienting our thoughts from saying thank you, saying grace to having a place for him at our table, you know, reflected when the Lord ate with the disciples or he roasted fish or there's all kinds of places in scripture where he shares a meal with his family, his mm-hmm. friends, you know, as, as they were here and incorporating him into our homes and our table and our, our meals in that way. I, I have a, a devotional I've written where my, when my daughter was very little, we were talking about that sacrifice that in her little children's Bible, the sacrifice of the fatty part of the meat. And one day I came and she had like a, a piece of bacon as a bookmark in in her little Bible. And I was couldn't figure out what it was. And she said, fatty part of the meat. Here's fatty part of the meat. And I thought, you know, that's the faith of a little child. Here's it. And directly, you know, immediately, literally says, that's that's what I'm gonna give back. So I just feel like when I when I wrote dwell. That was that was my goal. We are home so often. The Lord, you know, tells us um, the scripture that I have that I've used uh, for this is in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, where He says, "Teach them your, His words to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the uh, the road, when you lie down, and when you get up." And most of that is happening when we're at home. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted us to see for ourselves as His children. And then to be able to share with our children how he is present and nice and kind and loving and guiding and participating with us in our homes. Mm, okay, this is so good. I So I want to, uh, I was going to save this, but um, I want to dive into obviously just the book and the devotional dwell because it is, like I said, visually beautiful, but the, the subtitle is 90 Days at Home with God. And you know, as somebody who has written over 50 books, which I am in the process of writing my very first book right now, I'm in the editing process of it. And imagining 50 books under my belt, it seems like impossible. (laughs) Just like (laughs) I got to get through this one, Sandra. Okay, Mm -hmm. this one is gonna put me through the ringer. Um, But you know, what was it about this time and this place and this season of life and these circumstances that led you to writing this devotional? I just felt like a lot of times we look for the mountaintop experiences with God or the event. Mm-hmm. We're at church or we're at a retreat or we're at a whatever. And we do meet him there. And, and those are really exciting. But that's not where most of our lives are spent. They're spent in a carpool lane or they're spent uh, weeding or, you know, they're spent preparing a meal. And I just, if we're going to have the peace that he leaves with us by his constant presence, then we've got to, we've got to, and want to feel him in the places that we are every day, which is, which is mostly home. We know that he's there, but we just have to kind of have what I call like a put down the phone moment, you yeah. know, don't be distracted and, and sense that he's there. How is he? teaching me and loving me when I'm, when I'm weeding the garden, when I see uh, lights go on at night, when my children need a nightlight. Uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to have him be holistically present. That's where our peace comes from. If we yes. have our home as a refuge, and I mean that in both ways, 
God is our home and he is our refuge, but our physical surrounding is our home and it can be our refuge. There's a historical concept called sanctuary. So I've most, a lot of my books are historical, are historical books, but sanctuary was back in the day. If you had done something, you could run to the church and nobody could come in and get you. You could claim sanctuary. And so you were safe in there. And I think we want our homes to be our sanctuary. We can run there. We're safe. We can feel good in there. Nobody can get us there. The, the outside world is, is, is blocked out from us. And then, of course, we have that sanctuary in, in God, too. After the pandemic, we got used to being at home a little bit more. Our, our view of home might have changed a little bit because we'd not been spending as much time out. And I think some of that was good time that we can... Now that we are kind of integrated back into a little bit more of what life used to be like, we don't have to lose that hominess or homeliness, as the British call it, mm-hmm. to being at home with God. So as you began to kind of outline this, what did you, where did you draw inspiration from or, or where did you begin to put all these pieces together into this devotional that, that bring in all of those different aspects of helping people to understand that? you know, yes, you're dwelling in your home, like your physical home with God, but then also, again, kind of unpacking some of the things that you stated about God being our sanctuary and and the different places that that we can find kind of that peace and that comfort. And and even just the word dwell just has Mm -hmm. that um, in mind. And in fact, it's really uh, interesting. There's a adorable, if you're ever on the East Coast, if you're ever in Central North Carolina, you'll come visit I'll take you there. But there's a little shop in our, so I live in a small town and it has this cute little downtown area in the small town. And this new uh, little shop opened up and it's called Dwell. And it's mm-hmm. um, like a like a kind of a home goods store. I say home goods, but kind of, you know, smaller. She, yeah, she shares, um, you know, or she sells, you know, vintage uh, items and finds that she finds around or, um, you know, kind of like handmade things, beautiful candles, uh, decor, gifts, things like that. And uh, she also happens to be a believer. And, uh, you know, I asked her about the name of the store. I said, obviously, I love the name. Where did it come from? And she said, you know, I just want people to to feel that peace and, and to dwell in the presence of the Lord in their homes. And I just, I loved that. And I feel like that connects so much to what you're saying. So all of that to say is, as you were writing this, where did you begin to pull all these pieces together? What What did the writing process for this devotional look like for you? So I've published, I think, more than a thousand devotionals, which seems like a fantabulous number, and it is. But they're all, you know, a little breathtaking to start. I remember when I wrote my first 365 Devo, and uh, I told my friend, hey, I've, I've done 100, and she's like, 265 to go. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> 265 to go. But they come one by one. And once, you know, all spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body. So if God is calling me to do this for others, he really is going to provide that. I think in metaphors. And so that's my my kind of God language. My son is an engineer and a mathematician. And one time he told me, oh, you know, math is is the language of God. I'm like, well, I hope not because I don't know who I've been talking to all these years. I'm not. not (laughs) (laughs) But for me... It's metaphors. And so because he's created me that way and gifted me that way, he then gave me the eyes and ears to see when he called me to write devotionals, how he was at work around me, like in that Deuteronomy passage. Uh, so I could share those with other people. And once I did tune my ears and, and eyes in, you know, that word dwell means like to tarry. Mm. So it's not just living. It's not just moving. To dwell is to slow down, to tarry to have that peace, to not be rushing on to the next thought. So when I was able to focus my attention and my mind and Terry around there, uh, then he did show me things. You know, the um, one of the pieces that I have in there is, is about uh, lights that we use to line our driveway. So I thought they would look great. And I bought a whole set of them to go on either side of the driveway and super excited when it was dark and nothing happened. And I'm like, oh, they don't work. What's going on? And then my son-in-law's like, um, there's stickers over the top of the solar panel. You've got to take them off if you want the sun to go in. And then when the sun is stored, then when it's dark, you're going to have those lights. I'm like, oh, all right, that's a good idea. (laughs) 
So uh, I did that and it stored the sun it was during the summer. So not during the, the big dark in Seattle. And uh, then when the, when it was dark, the, the lights all went on and they looked beautiful. And I felt like the spirit was leading me to say, here's what we do when it's sunny out, we store the sun. We do, we store that all up the S O N. And then when it's dark and it's going to get dark, it comes around regularly. You've got some sun stored up to share for mm. yourself, for others to guide because those lights guided to either side of the driveway, but also just to look pretty. So I had to look and listen for what, what he was showing me in those areas and then have enough scripture knowledge so that I could let them let the Lord lead me back to the scripture that was undergirding that particular example. As you were writing this, was there anything in particular that you wrote about or, or kind of the Lord brought to mind that you didn't expect at first? It just, you wouldn't have said when you set out to write this, this devotional, oh, I, I think I'm definitely going to write about this. Um, was there anything along the way that the Lord kind of revealed to you or it was just maybe surprising? Yeah, for sure. I I always I always say that God never lets me write about anything that I don't experience. So I've said to him before, like, hey, I have a great idea. How about I win the lottery and then I write about how to steward a giant fortune? <laughs> and then that's never the answer. It's the never answer happened. is no, yeah. let's write about spiritual dryness or anxiety mm. or something, you know. So so even though it's it, the, this book is beautiful and the devotions are beautiful, but there were hard things too. It's not like this was just a yeah. you know thing that came down. One thing, for example, we had moved into what I had considered my dream house, my forever house. That was it. We'd reached it. I loved it. I was telling God, thank you. This is so wonderful that you've provided this. And it was. But then my husband got cancer. Mm. And through a number of circumstances, we were not going to be able to live in that house anymore. It was not something he'd be able to care for, have his treatments so far. And one day after he'd gone to work, when I was packing up to move, I said to God, I'm like, I thought this was my forever home. You know, mm -hmm. I, I thought this was it. This is my forever home. And he's like, you have one forever home and it's not here. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and I, he was, you know, it was very gentle, but he was showing me I had been investing. Yes, it was a good gift for him and from him. And I'm glad that I had that time. It, it was wonderful. But my forever home is somewhere else. Every place he moves me on this earth will have particular pleasures and particular challenges, but they're not my forever home. And I was sad about that for about an hour. And then I was free because I didn't need to DIY every place I lived in. I didn't need to worry if my home was bigger or better or smaller or whatever than anybody else. I just needed to dwell in the place that he has given me and my dream home and my forever home still awaits. Mm. Man, that I feel like you, what you just shared, like somebody listening is, that was something that they really needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's a conversation that uh, my husband and I have had a lot, you know, and, and I don't know, of course, I didn't, you know, come prepared with this quote, but uh, there's a quote, and I want to say it's by C.S. Lewis. I could be wrong. It could also be Tim Keller. Save your emails, everyone. I'm sorry. I don't we'll, have a, we'll take either source we'll of wisdom, either right? <laughs> source of wisdom. But it's something to the effect of like when you feel like not at home or you feel out of place, like mm -hmm. then you have to remember that this is not your home and you were not made for this world. And I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I'm like totally butchering this quote, but but it's something that my husband and I have talked a lot about this year of this of this idea of really coming to terms with the like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What on a, in a practical sense? How does it feel to know that right now, where we are, as much as we love it, like we live on a farm in our kind of like what you're saying, like we live on in my dream house, I have my dream front porch, and my dream view out my window. And I love my farm. And I love where I live with my family and my people. And I'm surrounded by trees and birds and all these things. But knowing deep down inside my heart that this is not my home, and I was not made for this. Um, I was not made for this world. I was not made to live in this world forever. Um, and so what does that look like on a practical level? And that's, that's really hard. And for some people, that's like a concept that you can't, their minds have a really hard time even grasping. But I just, I loved the way that you said that. It's just having that time to feel, 
to feel your feelings, <laughs> to right. be sad. And God's not saying like, you can't be sad. You have to just right. suck it up. That's not what he's saying, but it's, it's that, re- that sweet, gentle reminder of your, your home was with me. He was freeing me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't chastising me. Yeah. He was freeing me. And I think that's why this Devo is so important to me. We have so many resonant images of home. Grandma's home, mom's Mm. home, childhood home, dream home, forever home. We have a built-in longing for that home. It's it's just not here. There's a Devo that's in there about my guest room. So I had been preparing my guest room at that house, actually. It was it was beautiful. It had a gorgeous view of Mount Rainier. Mm. I was making soft pillows, soft blankets, soft everything. And then um I don't have it at hand, but I think it was a friend who told me, you know, like, you don't want them to be so comfortable. They never leave. Right. So, you know, you want to be careful. You're not inviting people over. And I, you know, the Lord drew my attention to that, too. We he, I wanted my guests to be comfortable and enjoy it, but they weren't going to stay with me forever. And I, I really didn't want them to as much as I loved it. And I think that that's kind of the concept that you were saying too. You want to be comfortable on your porch and on your farm, but you're you're not staying there forever. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to have both perspectives. You're, you know, you're you're visiting here. We have mission here. God wants us to feel good here. He created you with that desire for that farm and that porch. We just can't invest that. That's it. It's our tarrying place. Mm. We're we're dwelling there for time, but our our ultimate, you know, place is, is home. And I think what happens is we focus on building, I must feel at home here. I, I want to be hospitable. Everyone should feel comfortable here. But we we forget about the helping them find their real home too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's a there's a tricky balance to that. Another thing that I love so much about this in particular is that in each and every Uh, devotional, you really just bring everything back to the word. And um, in fact, my uh, Bible reading today was in Psalm 119 and, you know, which is just so long. Um, But something that I learned today that had just never clicked before was that in Psalm 119, 105, where your word is a light uh, for my feet and a lamp until my, no, a a lamp for my feet and a light into my path. And looking at the original Hebrew for each of those words and the original Hebrew for lamp really translates essentially to a foot lamp or a candle. So just enough light for the very next step. Whereas the, the word light literally translates to the same word that is used in creation and in um, I am the light of the world, this Mm -hmm. idea of just illuminating all of the earth. And so God's word gives us the, you know, the guidance and the wisdom and the, for the very next step for each step day by day, bit by bit. But his word also is an illumination of, of everything in our lives and all of those. And so I just, I loved that so much. And so I love that you take scripture and you really bring every single thing that you talk about right back to the word and it's all encompassing. And so I set all that up to ask what verses in particular have been really meaningful to you in that kind of like, you know, I've heard Psalm 119, 105 all the time. <laughs> and it really wasn't till today that it yeah. clicked. So is there any verse like that in particular for you that, you know, you always really enjoyed, but then maybe took on a new meeting or something like that? Yeah. I mean, that's why the the word is living and active, right? Mm-hmm. It just hits you today differently because you're you're living today differently. I think one thing that's good to that my perspective on the difference between a devotional and a Bible study. So Bible study is when you go to the word as it is, usually through the book, and you're looking to exegete what what is there, what was said then at the time, and then how do we apply it today appropriately. And devos are kind of more like parables where you take a story or an understanding or an illustration that's going on in life. And then you bring that back to the scripture that's that's already there. You're not dialing to find a scripture that proves your point. Right. I mean, that's something entirely different, but you have a and I you already have a deep knowledge of scripture so that when that illustration comes, the appropriate verses is there. 
My husband is a chaplain who keeps blue letter Bible on his phone. So I he reads everything I do. Yeah. Love it. So I don't, I would, if, even if I thought I was going to get away with something, trying to pace a verse on my, my team would be like, eh, no, that's not going there. So I'm, I luckily I've got a backup there too. But I think a couple, a couple of scriptures come to mind. You know, one of the ones that's very important in my life right now is Hebrews 11, six without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who on, uh, earnestly seek him. Mm-hmm. And that's been important to me for a couple of reasons. One is a lot of times in my life when something is painful or difficult, what I do is I tell them, make this go away. I don't want the circumstance anymore. I don't want this feeling anymore. I don't want this challenge or test, whatever, make it go away. But I simultaneously want to please him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I he can't take away everything that's going to require me to have faith that he's going to bring good from it, that he's going to have me come through the other side stronger, that we're going to get this through together. So I've had to, I've used that verse to help myself stop praying, take it away, and then say, show me how you exist in this situation. Show me how how you're going to reward me in this situation. And I think that has been, um, lately, that has been a a really important uh, verse for me. I have a Devo and dwell about running away from home when I was a kid. And then I said, you know, but I think sometimes all of us feel like running away from home. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't deal with this anymore. It's too much or I don't know what to do. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, where was I going to go? I was going to go nowhere. I think I was six. I mean, you know, there was no place to go. I was just angry, upset and sad at the person who had the power my parents to fix that for me and and they weren't and sometimes we feel like that too god is our parent he has the power to fix what we want fixed and he doesn't so psalm 73 23 and 25 when he says i'm always with you you hold me by my right hand you guide me with your counsel afterward you'll take me to glory whom have i in heaven but you and that's why we can't run away from him we don't mm-hmm. have anybody else and then when we kind of yield to that puts his arm around us, leads us back in the house, helps me unpack Mrs. Beasley or whatever I put in my bag when I when I was a girl and says, you know, we're here together. You, you don't need to run away from me. So I, I feel like those, you know, all 90 of the verses are more than, you know, 90 anchoring verses in 12, but each Devo has many other verses within just were all all very important to me. I, I wanted to feed my readers with those as God had fed them to me. Mm, mm, that's really beautiful. If someone is struggles with that, is is listening to you talk about drinking jasmine tea and having your quiet time and 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 creating that space for that, and they just say, This is an area that I just I'm really struggling in. What is your encouragement for how to create those rhythms, how to create those habits of spending time with the Lord, whether it's through a devotional or a Bible study? having that quiet time, whether it's with Jasmine tea or not, you know, what is your encouragement to somebody? So there's a book called Atomic Habits. It's not a Christian book by yeah. a man named James Clare, but he talks about building habits. And he talks about doing one simple thing at a time. For example, if you want to walk in the morning before you go to bed, you put your shoes out, you get your, you know, shorts ready, whatever it is. So the first thing when you wake up, you see those, you have to set yourself up for your quiet time with those atomic habits, because it is hard. We all have 50,000 things we have to do. And it's not an excuse. It's a demand of regular life. But if you have your Bible in a certain place, and you set the tea in the cup out before you go to bed, and you say you have kids at home, you arrange for your spouse or whoever to take care of them while you have your time or in the evening, then you've set it up. It's harder to overlook that. You can set reminders. I My kids want me to learn Italian with them. So every day I get something from that app that says, you don't want to miss your streak, do you? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. So, you know, I've got a reminder. I've got some things that build me up. So it's not just me trying to gut into a holy habit. I've set my mm. physical environment up to facilitate that. And then as far as devos, you have to find one that you really want to read because we already have so much stuff we want to do that we can't do. It's going to be really hard to make yourself do something you don't want to do anyway. So find a devotional that has a voice and an approach and a the length and everything that feels good to you. I kind of feel like a good devotional is like a prayer partner in a sense. Yeah. They, meet you in the morning. They might open you up to a new interpretation. 
we can get in a rut, pray for my kids, pray for finances, pray for health, play same thing over and over. But if you've got a Devo that's like, hey, have you considered, you know, how this might interact in your life or or this particular thing? It really grows and expands our our understanding. So so find something you want to read every day. Well, one of the things I know that you discuss in the Devo and you, and I'm curious if this all ties in because as you kind of briefly shared, your husband got a cancer diagnosis. And so I know that there is, um, like it says in Ecclesiastes three, you know, there's a time for everything, a season for every Mm -hmm. activity under the heavens and a time for rejoicing and a time for weeping and a time for mourning and, and all of those things. And so what when you go through a season in life where you're having just it's everything just feels challenging and you're you know our walks with god are are going to are never linear <laughs> right all no. over the place and we have mm-hmm. you know times where we're feeling like we're on the mountaintop and we have times where we feel like we're in the valley what kinds of things do you do in your own life when you're going through those more challenging seasons of life and especially more challenging walk, you know, times in our walk with God. You know, one of the things, this is probably another aha moment for me is that I I realized that seasons are cyclical and they're always going to come around. Where I get stuck is when I start to let myself think it's always going to be winter. This will never go away. This will never get better. We will never change this. How are we going to dig ourselves out? But spring does come. I mean, it it really will. And then on the other side, when you, it's always summer, hooray, we will never have another challenge. There will never be another difficulty. When I started to realize that, yes, this winter is difficult, but spring is going to come it, and, and summer is going to follow. And then I should enjoy it and soak up all that vitamin D yeah. for the time when autumn comes. I, you know, there's a quote that says, all my frustrations are due to unmet expectations. Mm. And when we start expecting that winter or summer is always going to stay, then we can either be depressed or blindsided when something comes around. But if I go into it knowing that the seasons are going to change, but God is there to help me navigate all of them. He set the seasons. He's the master of the seasons. That's going to happen. I've got a devotional in there about dormancy in, in gardens. So when plants are dormant, when you cut them back in the fall, they don't have any leaves. They don't look very pretty. Um, they're not doing anything, but they're not just sitting there. They're right. growing roots. They're they're getting deep. They're getting stronger. They're they're building under the surface the things that you can't see yet on the top. But without that surface, under the surface growth, there is no growth in the spring. So I think, you know, like you said, what do we do? We, we don't have to have happy-go-lucky Bible study if it's a winter or spring. You can just have the prayers, Lord, I need your help, or, you know, read Jeremiah or something that, you oh, know, yeah. you can that you can resonate with at that time. There's no expectation for us to pretend that fall or winter are easy. They're they're not easy, but you can still dig in and just be content. I'm just, I'm sitting here, I'm growing roots. Spring is going to come and, and God's going to blossom me again. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And it's funny. I actually studied um, Jeremiah this year as a part of, um, I'm in BSF and we were going through a big part of the Old Testament this year and Jeremiah was towards the end and lamentations. And I'll tell you, mm-hmm. I was actually talking with a friend who's going through a really hard time. And I said, I... I'm just going to tell you, just go read Lamentations. <laughs> just mm-hmm. just yeah. go read it because it is, it, you know, because this friend that I was talking with was telling me that, you know, he felt like he needed to be a little bit more rational, that he was spending too much time in his feelings about a particular situation. And finally, I just said, I actually think it's okay and biblical to just mm-hmm. sit in your feelings with this right now. Like your feelings are totally valid. You don't need to stay in those feelings forever, but I think it's actually completely biblical to sit in those feelings and to take those feelings to God. And I said, read Lamentations. And Jeremiah takes all his big feelings, very yes. big feelings, right to yes. God. And the thing about Lamentations is it doesn't end on a happy note. It There's no bow at the end of it, it ends unresolved, unfinished. And I said, and that's kind of how those things are sometimes. And that's, that's okay. But what I love so much about it is in, you know, in chapter one, and in chapter two, he is just, I mean, 
wailing. I mean, there's a reason Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. He's just wailing. And even at the beginning of chapter three, he's just like, I've lost all hope. Remember Mm -hmm. my affliction. I have forgotten what happiness is. I mean, it's, it's some pretty dark, brutal stuff. And it's so honest and raw. But then what I love so much about it is about halfway through chapter three, which is halfway through Lamentations, it in verse 21, it just changes over. And he says, yet I call these things to mind. You know, great is thy faithfulness. You know, your mercies are new every morning, all these things. And so he's like, I remember these things and I call them to mind. And it's just such a beautiful moment of God taking Jeremiah's feelings and then also helping him to refocus um, his, his grief and his energy. And so I, you know, I share all that just to say that, yeah, when you're in those seasons, like I think, I think historically for many Christians, there's been almost this stigma that, oh, well, you know, just, you know, suck it up. You're fine. Like, you know, don't show any weakness or anything like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. That Mm. is, not only wrong, but not biblical. <laughs> so. No, and it's condemning a little way. Don't yeah. you have the joy of the Lord? Be right. happy for what you have. But I think those things are in the word to be affirming to us mm-hmm. and for us to understand those are a natural part of human experience and God put them in there. I say this about all the, the Psalms a lot too, because mm-hmm. so many of the Psalms, they start out with either like, you know, smite them or yeah, I'm angry yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah. things we feel. I have felt smite them. This yeah. is not it. You know, this is a human feeling. But they do come around. And one of the things that the Lord showed me in a devotional is, and I don't have the the exact one at hand, but it's a it's a two-part psalm. And it starts with, you know, anger, frustration, upset. And then it comes around that that everything is happy. Well, we read that in about 10 minutes, but the time that transpired between David being upset and resolved is about a year. Mm-hmm. So when we sit down to read that in scripture, we're like, well, he got over it, you know, well, he got through it. Well, he why isn't my perspective turning around? But it will over time. We right. just read that faster than he experienced it. And if we go into reading those, knowing that that coming around, that coming around to, you know, mercies are new every morning didn't happen in the, you know, couple hours it took you to read that or whatever, that it, it took time in human life. I think that gives us some margin too to say, I can experience those those big darks, the big hard emotions, but I do bring them to the Lord. And then over time, he shows me that everything has made right again. We're transitioning just a little bit and we're kind of almost going backwards because this was one of the things I wanted to ask you early on, but that's okay. Okay. I, I loved the way we went. And that was just how you got into writing and and what that has looked like for you is was that something you always wanted to do was be an author I know you said you write a lot of um, kind of historical works mm-hmm. where did that love come from as again as somebody who was I was a creative writing major in college but here I am at 37 writing my very first book and um, it has felt like it's been so much fun and I love it so much and it has also felt like a absolute beast. Uh, So I, uh, maybe I'm selfishly Mm -hmm. asking this, but just what that process has looked like for you again, was it something you always wanted to do? And you know, what has been, um, you know, where did you really want to kind of put your focus in your writing? Yeah, I did always want to do that. I was an early reader. I was reading chapter books when I was six, little chapter books, not, you know, big chapter books. And I always wanted to do that because I love to read. And so then that's this other side of the same coin. You want to create, you wanted to do that. I made up stories. I had, you know, imaginary friends that I was teased about in my family. I'm like, hey, they're making me good money now, me and my imaginary friends. So, you know, it worked out okay. <laughs> and then, you know, then I wrote a, I, I submitted my first poem, I think, to a big New York publisher when I was about 12. And, you know, someone very kindly sent me a rejection postcard. So I at least knew that it got there. And so that was, that was good. I wrote a, my first little novelette when I was a teenager about two starstruck lovers, but I think they were both from the North Pole, so they could never 
get married because they would, you know, repel each other. And this was not published, obviously. I was 14 (laughs) years old or something like that. So I was doing that. I did go to college on a a writing scholarship, but I put myself through college and I got nervous. And so I I thought this is ridiculous. Nobody makes some money, you know, living, writing. So I switched to be a business major. And when I got out of college, I went to work for a publisher. And then it was like God was saying, you know, don't be afraid. This time I made you. I'm going to keep getting you around here. You know, I went to be a publisher. I was an editor there for a while. And then um, my husband went to seminary and we had kids and I was praying to the Lord one day. And I said, you know, when he's when he's all done with his stuff, I, I think I'm going to stop the editing thing and and just go to writing. And I I felt the spirit say to me, you know, so, so why wait? You know, why mm-hmm. wait? And I thought, well, I don't know why wait. And through a a crazy situation of circumstances. People moved in across the street from us and she was a Christian author. This woman was, and I put my, uh, my four week old baby in my arm with the manuscript and walked across the street to her and said, is there anything here worthwhile? And she said, yeah, I think so. And then, then there it is. So it was a combination of, I was created for this. The time was right. He encouraged me. He put the right people in my path. Mm. Now that's not to say everything was easy. My first novel was rejected. It was children's like 13 times. Mm. And, uh, and one publishing company rejected me twice. So the, the rejected, this was back in the day when they came in the mail. So I saw the mail and I'm like, oh, they came to their senses. They thought, oh no, we rejected it erroneously. We really want it. No, no, they just wanted to send it again to make sure I really knew (laughs) that it was rejected. Yeah. Totally. But, you know, God got me, God got me where, where I needed to go. And I think it's like any ministry. There's, there's hard times, there's crying times, there's times, you know, I remember telling a friend, I don't want to do this anymore. And she's like, well, are you released from the call? And I'm like, well, don't ask me those kinds of questions, mm. you know, come on. Um, but he gets you through those things too. There's no calling in life. There's no path in life. That's, that's easy, but there's also nothing that's as satisfying as, doing something that he has created and enabled you to do and and does it with you. Mm. Well, I know a lot of your books have been uh, kind of historical fiction, things like that, mm-hmm. which I love historical fiction. It's one of my favorite genres to read. Um, so again, I'm kind of asking this question somewhat selfishly. Um, yeah. What book in your arsenal was the most fun, and I know this is probably pretty hard, but the most fun to write and research. Was there a particular one that just really stands out? I think the ones that were most most fulfilling to me and probably fun are, are my tutor books mm-hmm. because I was a tutor reader from a very young age. I, I read all those things. I think at least maybe 12 years old, I remember I was reading a book maybe by Jean Platy, who was a British historical writer. My grandmother came and she took the book off my hands and she was opening it looking for adult language. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm praying, God, please don't let her find anything. Please don't let her find anything. And she found it and they had used the word baseborn for a child born out of wedlock instead of the other term. Oh. So then she snapped it back and said to me, all right, you can keep this. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm like, okay, I can finish my book. <laughs> but I think just because I was so deeply in that genre as a reader my entire life, I thought, I really want to add something to this. I really want to be among these authors that I so admire. And so writing those Tudor books, especially as a Christian, I think the Reformation angle for that era has has been overlooked pretty mm-hmm. significantly but there was a lot there were a lot of christian people Catherine parr was the first uh, woman published in the english language probably um she published devotionals anne boleyn had a very significant role to play in the english reformation so i th- i think those were probably the most satisfying Oh, man, I love that. Well, I also am really fascinated by that period in history. And so I uh, am very like, I'm, I'm going to go uh, yeah. read all of them. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, yeah, I love historical fiction. And I, 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 I think I'm drawn so much to that style of genre because it I love the way that good historical fiction authors like you take you to that period and yes they they create things that were not true but with enough of a backdrop and foundation mm-hmm. in truth that it creates this oh wow I didn't know this about this particular time and 
One of my other favorite historical fiction authors is Kristen Hanna. And I love um, how so often she writes about, you know, an era or, or a period in time where I'm like, man, I really knew nothing about that. Like her last book, The Four Winds, like mm -hmm. was really about the Dust Bowl area era, which I was like, I know nothing about the Dust Bowl. Yeah. So after I finished reading that, I was like, well, now I need to go read all about the Dust Bowl. Yeah. So um, but that's yeah. what a good historical yes. fiction author will do. And in the back, so kind of of the the unspoken agreement you make with the reader is if you do twist or change or modify history in some way shape or form to accommodate the story that should be listed in mm. the author's notes so that your reader understands okay I had to do this but it really happened five years later or yeah this family was fictional but this family wasn't yeah um, but by the time you finish a well-written story you don't care I yeah mean, you you're don't just care glad that you were there yep. yeah you're just like you you feel like you know them you feel like you've yep. been transported that time I was totally about, my friend Liz was talking about this the other day where she was like, sometimes when I'm out, I'll be thinking about like, what are my book friends doing right now? Where like mm -hmm. the, the characters I'm reading about <laughs> currently, like they are somewhere alive in, in the in the stratosphere. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I wonder what they're doing at this moment. Like their words on a page, <laughs> but they become. I've had, I've had people write to me and say, I was so embarrassed when I was praying for some of your characters. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh no, they're, they're, they're not there. But that's the job that we're supposed <sighs> to have. And even when I'm writing, I'm I mean, I like to leave my people at the end of the book in a place where I and my readers can imagine the future that I didn't write mm. so that they can end satisfied that people that I hope that they've grown to know and love have the potential for the life that they hope for them ahead. Because then when we close the page, we don't see them anymore. Mm. Oh, man, man, this is so good. Uh, Sandra, I have just loved this conversation so much. Um, for people that want to connect with you or or read some of your works or, you know, get your new Dwell devotional, where can they best do that? How can they support your work? And maybe if in your arsenal of 50 books, this is a lot of questions here at the end, but in your arsenal of 50 books, where would you suggest someone start? So if they like historical fiction, I would start with the tutors, which are tutor ladies in waiting. And then I have other historical books that they can follow. If they have teens or tweens, I have series for them. That's where I started writing was for teens or tweens. And then I have one series that's contemporary chiclet called Let Them Eat Cake, which is a foodie series. You'll not Love be surprised it. here. Yeah. I said after I wrote the foodie series, I needed to write like an exercise series, but then I didn't. So that was like <laughs> a problem because I left over from the foodie series. So, but you can find me on sandrabird.com and that will be a place that you can see all the books that I have. And it does have... Uh, buy links to all of them there. There's some sample devos in my blog. So that might be a way for you to taste and see if they're good before you decide if you're going to buy the whole devo. But I would I would welcome them, anybody, into my, my digital living room there. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. Sandra, thank you for being here. Thank you for your work. And I am off to go read the Tudor series ASAP. Yes, <laughs> yes and email me when you're done. And I let will. me know if you're still wondering where they are. So <laughs> I will. I will. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you loved it. And I would love to know if there was anything that you learned. Please let us know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your social media. And would you head on over to the app wherever you're listening to this podcast and click subscribe or follow? And would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. I can't thank you enough for listening and supporting this show week in and week out. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. I'll see you next week. Bye.